If you've listened to much of the series so far, you'll probably have gathered I'm a big fan of social housing. My ideal city would be like Vienna, where the rich and poor live together in high-quality apartments available for social rent. But I should also be clear, other solutions to the housing crisis are available. At least, that's according to the two groups we'll be discussing today. They are the Georgists, who follow the theories of a man named Henry George and support a land value tax. And they are the Yimbies, who want to dramatically increase the supply of housing through planning reform. Unless you're deep in the weeds of housing discourse, you probably won't have heard of either of these groups, but they are worth taking seriously. And if you hang out like me in the depths of housing Twitter, you'll know they both have a lot to say. You're listening to Crash Course with Michael Walker. This is the show where I take a topic I think is essential to understanding the world and make a whole series on it. We're currently on episode 10 of season one, which is all on the rental crisis. If you've been enjoying the series so far, please do consider supporting our work on Patreon. Once you sign up, you'll get access to the whole series, to all future series, and indeed to this whole episode, of which the second half will be paywalled. You can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. If you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. You make this all possible. Me and the team behind Crash Course really appreciate it. So to talk about Georgists and Yimbies, I have a really excellent guest who handily for this show classes herself as both. Shreya Nanda is Chief Economist at the Social Market Foundation and before that was at the IPPR. Um, Shreya, your Twitter bio describes you as a pro-growth progressive. What does that mean? Um, that's right. So I guess it, it means I'm, I'm, I, I'm someone on the progressive side of politics. Um, I want our economy to be, you know, better materially and I want it to be more equal so I want living standards to rise for everybody. And I think part of the way of doing that is redistribution and part of the way of doing that is policies that are going to help increase growth. And I'd I'd class the policies that we're about to talk about as examples of those. Yeah, so I suppose let's, um, t- to check my intro was correct, you do class yourself as a Georgist and a Yimby. Um, I mean, the, I think... The two ideologies incarnate in one person. Qualified, qualified Georgism. Um, Qu- qualified Georgism. Okay, well, we'll get onto the qualifications when we're um, discussing it. Okay, let's start with Georgism. For the first part of the show, I want to do Georgism. What is a Georgist? Of course, um, they follow the ideology or the ideas, let's say, of Henry George. He was an American journalist and politician who lived from 1839 to 1897. Um, but what did he believe? Who was he? What makes someone a Georgist? Why do people follow Henry George? Yep. So as you say, he was a political economist and journalist and the author of a hugely successful book, Progress and Poverty. Um, so he was a sort of socially minded man in America at that time, trying to understand the world around him. He looked at Europe, the old world, um, and he said in Europe there was sort of widespread poverty for the common man, whereas in the new world in America, um, you know, the common man had access to you know, a good standard of living, abundance and high wages. And he was he was saying, why, well, why is this? Um, and then he sort of writes about how he comes to the conclusion that it's about land. So in Europe, um, you know, the land there is pretty settled. Land has become scarce. Um, yeah, there's high wages, but there's also high rents for normal people. Whereas in America, because, you know, it's still in the process of being colonised and settled at the time, um, 
that is, land is still pretty abundant. So if you're a worker, you can benefit from high wages, high growth, but you, you're not paying high rent to a landlord. So he he said, oh, this is at the root of, you know, of our understanding of why poverty still exists alongside material progress and technological growth. And to solve the problem of poverty, we need to think about land and how we share the benefits of land. So, so uh, as far as I understand it, he, you know, he was quite into capitalist growth, you know, which he thought could potentially improve sort of people's lifestyles. But the problem was that because there was scarce land, if your incomes rose, all that would mean is that your rents would rise because the landlord would essentially take advantage of the growth and say, I want more of the share of this pie because you obviously can't live nowhere. Everyone needs to live somewhere. I think, so you're saying that he, he sort of compared Europe to America. Obviously, land was more scarce in Europe than in in America because, you know, the, the colonists or however we want to refer to them had just moved there. Um, I think, you know, by the end of his life, he sort of see, saw the same thing going on in America, right? He, he thought that landlords were also capturing all the benefits of growth and and making people poor when they didn't really need to be. Yeah, that's right. And he was in San Francisco at the time. And obviously, San Francisco was massively booming. You know, railroads were springing up, new housing was springing up. So land was becoming more scarce and more expensive before his eyes. This process was going on before his eyes. And he was he predicted that America would end up like the new world with massive housing crisis. And I think that's basically now happened. And he was like a big because I hadn't really heard of Henry George before doing this podcast, but he was a big deal. Like, I mean, I don't know how I don't know how um, accurate this is, but, you know, on the Wikipedia page, they say that the New York Times um, on the day after his funeral said it was the greatest funeral that had ever occurred in 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 New York and potentially had more attendees than that of Abraham Lincoln. So this guy was like a big deal, right? Yeah, like the book sold more copies than anything except the Bible, apparently, in the 1890s. And as you say, if you go onto the Wikipedia page for Progress and Poverty, it's full of this like quasi-religious language. Like, you know, nobody can eat or sleep the same way again after reading this book. Like Albert Einstein's on there, Tolstoy's on there, you know, all praising this amazing book that sparked the progressive era. Um, we will get to why people might not have heard of him now. You know, obviously, you know, he was up there with Marx in terms of like being an American working class person in the late um, 19th century. But people don't talk about George as much as they do Marx. We can talk about the reasons for that. First of all, I want to go a bit earlier than George, actually, to go even further back. Um, and I want to talk about the original political economists. So people who, you know, really the godfathers of capitalist thought. And I have some quotes um, I want to read, which might surprise some of our audience. So the first is... As soon as the land of any country has all become private property, the landlords, like all other men, love to reap where they never sowed and demand a rent even for its natural produce. That was Adam Smith in 1776. We've also got this from David Ricardo. The interest of the landlord is always opposed to the interests of every other class in the community. And then J.S. Mill Landlords grow rich in their sleep without working, risking or economising. The increase in the value of land arising as it does from the efforts of an entire community should belong to the community and not to the individual who might hold title. So these are all people who we think of as, you know, free marketeers, essentially. These are people who, if you read a neoclassical economic textbook, they might refer back to the works of Ricardo and Smith and Mill. Obviously, in a way, they don't refer back to the works of Marx because Marx was wrong, Smith was right. But you now have these... Um, obviously, in the, in the views of people who write neoclassical textbooks, I'm, I'm putting myself in their shoes. But these quotes, I think, show that the original capitalists didn't like landlords. And that might surprise some of our audience now. Why didn't the original capitalists or the original theory, theorists of capitalism like landlords? Well, I think for the same reason that Henry, the same point that Henry George was making, that, you know, you have 
this process of economic growth, um, land values go up because of not just because of the the actions of the individual owner of the land, but because you know of the infrastructure that grows up around them, the businesses, the housing. That value is socially created, but you know, instead of everyone being able to benefit from that growth and that higher wages, it gets monopolized and captured in a way that leads to injustice. And that's that's what's so puzzling. You know, the, these Georgist ideas are so, you know, go so well with classical liberalism and free markets, but you, so many classical liberals and free marketers around now who call themselves those things don't aren't Georgists. Because the Adam Smith Institute don't seem to have a big problem with landlords, right? They're the, the, the modern day uh, bearers of his name. And I think they just want deregulation everywhere. And, you know, if you've got the land, you can do what you want with it. I mean, yeah, you get you get some people who work at the Adam Smith Institute who who are pro a land value tax, but it's not their big thing. Um, OK, let's talk about his big idea. Uh, so they were called the original Georgists, I think, were called the single taxes. Right. And that was because they wanted to replace all taxes with one tax, which was the land value tax. So can you um, explain to me the land value tax? How did that arise from uh, Henry George's theories about progress and poverty? Um, and what would, a, what would a land value tax look like? Yeah, so basically, you know, he used the example of the owner of a vacant lot in, in somewhere like San Francisco. And he said, you know, somebody can hold on to this piece of land, leave it empty. But because of all the business and progress and growth that's going on around them, they can just see the land value and the rent on that land rise and rise. And he said that, you know, to stop that from happening, to make sure that the land is used efficiently and that everybody can benefit from that growth, we should tax the owners of the land. Um, so tax them on the rental value of the land. Um, you know, so if I own a piece of land and the rent on it is $100 a month, then we should tax that rent um, and then use that for things like funding infrastructure or or just redistribute the money to everyone. And... So, I mean, it, so it wouldn't be on building, it's be on the land, right? So he'd say, so one, one benefit of this is you are, yeah, you're distributing wealth from those who haven't earned it to those who, you know, are hard workers. So you're, you're basically distributing from the parasites to the, to the strivers. So the strivers being the industrialists and the capitalists and the workers and the parasites being the people who just own land and try and get the, the fruits of the hard labor that other people have done. Also, I think he thought this would dramatically increase the sort of productivity of land, right? Because if you're sitting on a valuable bit of land, you'll get taxed the same amount whether or not you build a skyscraper on it or you make it into a parking lot. And I don't know if you had parking lots in the time of Henry George, but the, the contemporary equivalent, let's say. And so I, he thought that if you taxed both equally, then no one would sit on parking lots and everything would become super productive skyscrapers or factories or Am I on the right train? Yeah, of that's here? absolutely right. It's it's an incredibly pro-growth policy. You're absolutely, it, you know, it forces everyone to sit at the margin of growth and, you know, to be pushing as fast as possible to make sure their land is being used as productively as possible. Otherwise, they won't be able to afford to pay the tax bill. They'll have to sell the land to somebody else who is going to use it more productively. I mean, I would also point out the political economy. You know, when he was writing things were just a lot more unequal. Like most people were renters. Nowadays, obviously you have more homeowners, you have more people who, businesses who also own their premises. So the the line between parasites and strivers is a bit blurrier than it was then. I suppose that leads into a, a following question of, you know, why didn't this happen? So at the time Henry George was writing, it seemed like he had this winning coalition. You've got the industrialists who are annoyed that they're paying rent to people who don't innovate. You've got the workers who are annoyed they're paying half of their wages to a landlord this is like a super majority 
of American society. And then you've got this very famous book, which sells almost as well as the Bible. So the ideas have clearly got out there. But as far as I understand it, you know, a land value tax hasn't really been implemented in America in any meaningful way. And as we said earlier, you know, Georgism doesn't seem to have left much of a mark on, on America, which is obviously where he was, you know, working and, and prophesizing. Why, why did Georgism fail? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's all about the politics of it, and you know, of course, in England, one government did try and introduce a land value tax. So David Lloyd George and Winston Churchill, back in no, 1909, the 1910s, um, tried to introduce a land value tax um, in their people's budget, but it was blocked by the House of Lords. So it ended up not happening. Obviously, you know, in in the UK and the US, like, you know, we had social democratic governments. They didn't do. Um, land value taxes but they did lots of policies that were about making sure that land was shared more fairly like building lots of social housing taxing um, you know land when it becomes permissioned the increase in value that happens there um, big taxes on big estates that led to the estates being broken up so you know you can see those you can see those as being in line with Georgia's principles but yeah the pure land value tax hasn't been implemented anywhere and I think part of the reason for that is that like it's quite unpopular with homeowners right you're like if you're a homeowner you're like i want to feel secure i don't want to feel like i'm facing this tax bill every month every year that's totally out of my control suddenly it might go up and then i won't be able to afford to live in my house anymore so i think the political economy of it is quite different whether we're talking about landlords or homeowners so potentially it was just that too many people became homeowners so whereas before you could demonize this tiny minority of the population who owned all the land you ended up having more people who owned homes. And I suppose, actually, if we're talking about like political economy and power here, was it potentially that the industrialists themselves became massive landowners? And so the industrialists were sort of like, well, to be honest, we don't want our own land to get taxed. So we can live with the landlords. All we've got to do is collectively keep the workers down. I do. I mean, I don't know if that is true. I think definitely the fact that much more people became homeowners, yeah, it made it less you know less relevant. But obviously now you can say maybe we're going a bit the other way. Private renting is on the rise these kinds of policies maybe are entering the public sphere a bit more again. So we could have a, a return of Georgism. Has it been implemented anywhere? Obviously, it wasn't a huge deal in America. Where where do Georgists point to in the world and say, that's as close to Georgism as anyone has got? I, I mean, you I mean, you can go on, the, again, you can go on the Wikipedia page and you see all these examples of, oh, Denmark has something, Estonia has something, parts of America, parts of Australia. But like you say, I don't think they're, it's been implemented in a very meaningful way. They're not, they're, the tax rates aren't very high or there are lots of exemptions. Um, you know, somewhere like Singapore, where the government owns the majority of the land and, le and leases it out to residents, I think it's probably what you'd point to. That's not, obviously, that's not a tax. That's the government owning the land. But it still effectively leads to the rents being redistributed. And you've solved the problem, right? Because the, the George's problem, I suppose, just to re restate it, is that you've got growth, which is leading to innovation and rising incomes, and then landowners, because they have a monopoly of, of, of space, which people always need, you know, we need space to live and work, et cetera, et cetera. They will suck an ever-growing proportion of that. Singapore solved that. Um, you know, we often talk about Singapore as this free market haven that they were going to turn Brexit Britain into. But Singapore, the state owns 90% of the land and they get to decide what's built on it. So there isn't there isn't this sort of class of landowners holding everyone else hostage. And yeah, you're right. I, I think as far as I understand it, Singapore, they lease out plots of land to private companies to build on. But obviously they have quite a lot of say because there isn't this landlord class which are sort of determining the price of land. Yeah, and my understanding is that, you know, the cost of living on a sort of decent apartment in Singapore is 
is better than it is in somewhere like London. Um, let's talk about a policy you proposed. So in a report for the IPPR when you were working there, you proposed a proportional property tax. Um, what was the idea there? Why did you think a proportional... Well, I suppose actually let's start with what is a proportional property tax? Yeah, so a proportional property tax, um, you know... It's, it's similar to a land value tax, but instead of just being on the value of the land, it's on the value of the whole building. Um, it's, it's proportional to the value of the building. Uh, sorry, of the, of the whole property. Um, and then, but yeah, and it, it's quite similar. You'd pay a, a monthly or an annual um, property tax bill. Um, people who, so yeah, it would replace things like council tax. Um, so people in poorer parts of the, people in parts of the country where house prices are lower would pay less than they do now and people in parts of the country where house prices are very high would pay more um, and then we also talked a lot about how you'd make it sort of politically possible and um, you know give people the possibility of um, deferring it until they sell the property um, you know having reliefs and so on. Uh, let's talk about the politics of it in a moment because that is super interesting. First of all why did you go for a property tax instead of a land value tax because as I said that you know one of the ideas of George was that he actually wanted to encourage like increasing the value of land so he wanted people to build skyscrapers instead of car parks but a property tax would tax the skyscraper much more than a car park wouldn't it yeah that's that's right so the reason that IPPR went for the proportional property tax rather than the land value tax um I think was because you know the idea that yeah we, we want to tax the land value but we probably also want to tax the building value a bit as well because we you know we tax all goods with VAT for example so we wouldn't want that we wouldn't want to treat buildings totally differently so I think that was the thinking. And let's talk about the politics then. Um, when anyone ever tries to introduce something like this, it does seem to be politically toxic. I remember in Labour in the 2017 election, um, when I think there was just a report published, it wasn't even policy, but there was a report published about sort of land and, and taxation. And then you had all of these um, sort of tabloid newspapers saying, Labour are going to tax your garden. And then they had to go out and deny that, no, we're not going to tax your garden. Because um, obviously a land value tax would tax people's garden if it was implemented properly. I mean, how do you? How are you going to get buy-in for this in a country where, let's you know, be real, sixty-five percent of the population are homeowners? Um, I mean, that's that's kind of what, coming back to what I said when I said I was a qualified Georgist. Um, yeah, I I think it is very difficult politically to try and get this kind of because you know it's understandable that people homeowners don't want to face this massive tax bill and that's why I'm also very interested in the policy of building more houses as a, an alternative way of addressing the the housing problem. We're saving that for Yimbis first of all. Are Georgists left wing or right wing? I suppose historically and both in the modern day. It's a great question. I think you I mean personally I think it's a it's a left wing policy. Like I think it would it would make society a lot more equal. Um I think you get people with all kinds of politics who will call themselves Georgists. But I think you're, yeah, you'd, I think you, it's not something you find very widespread among your sort of normal, normie right-wingers. Um, so I think it, you know, it makes you a bit progressive to be a Georgist. But there's, but there's sort of like a weird, because there is a sort of subculture around this. I feel like the Georgists often have that emoji, which is like the globe. And the globe. Oh, I was going to say the, the one that looks like a little shield, the yellow and the green. Oh, is that what that's the Georgist? Because the, the neoliberals have so the, that, the globe. The is globe the one. neoliberal of a sock dam. No, the sock dam have the socks. But then there is. Oh, they have. Oh God, I didn't know that. <laughs> the loads. But the, but the Georgists sometimes are, or the Twitter Georgists sometimes are also quite neoliberal, right? That's in, true. In, in and I suppose Singapore here is the, is the sort of classic 
thing that they'd look to because Singapore is interesting because it has no landlords or at least no powerful landlords. The state owns all the land. But then when you look at the rest of the economy, it's very free market. So you, you have low taxes elsewhere. It is pretty much a free market economy other than land. And that's why these sort of like neoliberal Georgists seem to really like it. I think there are neoliberal Georgists, but not not all neoliberals are Georgists. And I think the ones who are a bit more on the left. And, and there are also like left libertarians who are Georgists. But it could be an interesting coalition. Yeah. Could, it, could an interesting coalition be built? Yeah, for sure. Everyone other than homeowners. It's not a winning coalition, to be honest, but we'll get there. We'll try, we'll try. Let's, let's, let's move on. <laughs> that was the first part of my conversation with Shreya Nanda. Um, you've heard us talk about Georgism. We go on to talk about Yimbyism, which is actually a little bit more politically contentious, I think, at least on the left. And it also has a more powerful movement behind it. There are lots of Yimbys in both political parties at the moment. If you want to listen to that, you'll have to become a subscriber. To do so, go to patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. You can do that for as little as £3 a month and it will make this podcast sustainable into the future. You've been listening to Crash Course with me, Michael Walker. Production and editing is by Lewis Bassett and Patrick Herdman. Patrick Herdman does the sound design.